Disclosure, the information in this podcast is educational and general in nature and does not take into consideration the listener's personal circumstances. Therefore, any and all information presented in this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for specific individualized financial, legal, or tax advice. To determine which strategies or investments may be suitable for you, consult the appropriate qualified professional prior to making any decision. Hey everyone, Ben Keedy here with the Wealth Crypto Podcast again, and hope you all had a great Thanksgiving. Things definitely slowed down on my end, but we are back. And today's guest is Brian Esposito. He is the current CEO of Diamond Lake Minerals, which historically was a mining company based out of Salt Lake City, but has fully pivoted into digital assets and is focused specifically on SEC registered security tokens. So we have an interesting conversation around that, and Brian is also a longtime entrepreneur and investor and has done a lot of things over the years, so we have a great conversation there too, and hope you all enjoy. Thanks. And we're live. Brian, thanks for joining, man. Oh, Ben, pleasure to be here, pal. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm glad we were, uh, after a couple of weeks of back and forth, finally able to, to make it happen. Yes, sir. Cool. Well, let's uh, maybe start with the easy one. You know, who are you? Yeah. A little bit about who, what you do in your background. Who am I? Great. That's not an easy one, actually. We can get deep into that one. Yeah. Uh, but uh, Brian, Brian J. Esposito, CEO, originally, uh, up until recently, my entire career was as an entrepreneur and building companies and acquiring and starting companies. Uh, through that, I've built Esposito Intellectual Enterprises. It's, uh, think of it like a, it is a holding company. So it's a parent company of over 110 entities in it. There's a reach of over 200 joint ventures around the world and proudly operating in 25 different industries. So that's been my entire career since a late teenager starting companies and building these companies. Um, what's you know, My life's journey has led me to take over a public company in late August, Diamond Lake Minerals, <clears throat> ticker symbol DLMI. And over the last two months, we have created some ginormous momentum behind us. We've got tremendous support from uh, icons across multiple different industries that are um, joined the team as advisors. And that company mimics a lot of what I've been doing in my my private career. And it's a old school General Electric GE model, parent umbrella. And the strategy is multiple subsidiaries across uh, different industries that we'll have ownership in or wholly owner, whole ownership in. Entire models, wealth preservation, wealth enhancement, uh, or shareholders, it's creating strong businesses that generate great dividends for our shareholders. Uh, so that model has been done before. We're not the first to do that. You know, get these companies very strong, open up our resources, tools, and support to get them performing. But where it gets really fun and interesting is my life's work in uh, security tokens or digital assets. Mm -hmm. So these business units that will be underneath the LMI's subsidiaries, they'll have a security token offering attached to them of some sort through our partnership with INX. So I do believe being in this space while well, being in traditional business and being heavily focused on what's the future of digital assets look like and digital securities. There's a lot of wealth in the world that doesn't believe in things like crypto, NFTs, digital assets. Yeah. They're intimidated by it. I think it's mostly an insecurity. They don't know how to get involved. They don't know how to do a digital wallet. They don't want to go through the digital uh, the process of a KYC on an exchange that they're not familiar with. Yeah. So with us, we believe we have the outlet for that wealth of the world to be in this industry with something that they're familiar with, you know, going on their Charles Schwab account or calling their broker and buying a stock. Mm -hmm. So that's the important hybrid that we've built. And then with the security token offering with these business units, 
we open up the opportunity for capital around the world that never was able to participate in companies like Diamond Lake Minerals to actually be part of um, an, an, uh, a business unit inside of the holding. So we think we got something special. So we're, we're all in. Yeah, there's a lot to kind of unpack there. But I am, I guess, maybe a little bit curious about just, I guess, the history of you and how how you got started. You know, like, how do you, you know, I guess, start this entrepreneurial journey, be a part of tens of companies, uh, and then ultimately find your way into crypto? Like, can you give us maybe the abridged version of that? I, I could try. Uh, so yeah. in the late 90s, you know, what really kicked off my professional entrepreneurial career is I built the first B2B, B2C e-commerce platform for the beauty industry. So I taught myself okay. how to code. Always loved technology. Always loved computers and software. reason I taught myself how to code was at the time, there was no WordPress, Wix, yeah. Shopify accounts then yeah, to yeah. do what I wanted to do and bring the beauty industry together with vendors, great brands, and a reach to consumers and wholesalers around the world through an internet component, that would cost millions of dollars to build something like that out. So mm-hmm. didn't have that capital, built it myself. Nice. Uh, through that, I uh, launched over 1,200 brands, got to work with some amazing, iconic celebrities, musicians, athletes, you know, icons to help them develop their brands. And I was their distributor. I was a retailer through our stores or distribution and our online channel. Mm-hmm. I was Amazon's first beauty retailer. I was Jet.com's first retailer. I was the first to launch a Google Wallet back in the day, which was a complete okay. failure, but we were, um, <laughs> they were competing against PayPal. Yeah. And um, through that... Cr- career that I started building and kept building and acquiring companies. So it wasn't, I didn't want to just be in the beauty industry. I wanted to take my passion for building companies and industry agnostic and more importantly, control my own world. A lot of these brands that I launched, they had hundred million billion dollar exits because of my stupidity. I didn't have access. I didn't have equity ownership in the, in, or liquidity event. I was their distributor and I, my model prior to what it is now i was happy with that sure. uh, not only did i not have equity in those liquidity events that they had those companies that bought those brands had their own distribution channel so then i lost mm-hmm. the brand oh. so i had to stop that from happening it happened too sure. many years that's when i started well if i'm going to be launching a brand for the music industry let me launch a band in the music industry so then i went into the music industry and then i said well I'm not going to partner with a merchandising or apparel company. I'm going to own the merchandising and apparel company. And then it mm-hmm. went into, well, I'm not going to license tech and eat our margins. Let me build the tech that we need. Mm-hmm. Through that process, I built a company called Payback, which was well before Venmo. It was, I knew this entire micro lending economy was out there. I was the first one to build and develop that, have an app in the app store and creating at the time, a token environment of a, a global currency that I wanted to be able to cross uh, border transactions for people borrowing and lending money back and forth. Okay. Well before the idea of crypto or tokens, but I, my yeah. mind was thinking, how do you transact in a unified way? How do you make it as easy as possible for people? And how do you yeah. give people access to capital, whether they want a few hundred bucks or a few hundred million? I wanted to create this entire model. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's what got me interested in the idea of commerce in a digital fashion and then kept building and, and enhancing that but never got into crypto as a speculator never buying the bitcoins or ethereums of the world but building our own blockchain technologies and new mechanisms for payment building community tokenization of those, mm-hmm. of those companies under our control because it, it mimics my history i want to i want to own what i'm learned. building 
Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so that led me to really, you know, I've always operated my private companies much like a public company. I always wanted them to be as profitable as possible, strong balance sheets, and I wanted accountability, which is one of the reasons why I love blockchain. I think it's the most beautiful, transparent way for people to know what's going on in a public ledger. And I yeah. think that really applies in the public markets where people sure. put in tax earnings into companies. There's no yeah. different than going to a casino. Yeah. And you got to wait three months to see if that CEO did a good job. And if to they see didn't, what they choose to report to you. <laughs> exactly. And then yeah. if they didn't do a good job, they say, don't worry, next quarter we'll turn yeah. it around. Yeah. Uh, so then that's what said got me really involved in security tokens because yeah, I like the idea of changing the world. I like the idea of disruption, but there's also the reality of that's not reality. So how do you mm -hmm. operate in what you want to do, but in a regulated environment? So that's mm -hmm. why I'm all in security tokens. And where I believe is the next proper progression of uh, a, a global landscape of cryptocurrencies, digital assets that can be banked, that can go on your balance sheet, that you won't be in trouble for, you won't have regulators down on your back, um, which is what I believe security tokens are that next step to getting where people ultimately want to be. Okay. Maybe real quick for listeners, what is a security token? Uh, security tokens are a regulated digital security. So it's the evolution yeah. of stocks uh, sitting on a, on a digital blockchain. So I, and I, there's a couple of great um, exchanges that I've worked with. Securitize, T-Zero guys are great. Um, but we're all in on INX. Mm -hmm. I love that team. They just got a great investment and support from Republic, which is one of the biggest crowdfunding companies in the world. Uh, so INX actually wrote this INX way. It's a great read. It's a small digital booklet on them working with the SEC on the future of digital securities and security sure. tokens in a regulated environment. Mm -hmm. So, so that gets us to your new CEO job. Yes, sir. How, uh, how I, I was, I, I guess I'm a little curious just on the history of uh, what is diamond Lake, right? Diamond Lake minerals. Yes. sir. Yeah, how do they go from like actual pulling minerals out of the ground to digital? minerals i suppose <laughs> yeah well through me getting involved right that yeah. company's been the headquartered out of salt lake city brand's been there since 1954 uh the key principal and president michael reynolds him and i met and he's my kind of guy um late 70s going into early 80s gentlemen same mentality as me as far as how businesses should be built not of this mm -hmm. Unicorn nonsense that floats yeah, around. Yeah, sure. Like, <laughs> if you want to be in business, you got to have revenues, and if you want to stay in business, yeah. you got to have profitability. That's yeah. That's kind of where I'm from. For sure. <clears throat> so uh, we met. He uh, he acquired this vehicle. I want to say 2016, 2017, somewhere in there. Uh, and trying to position it and replicate it in what he's done in his career. He's launched some incredible companies public, but never aligned with the right individual. Someone like me that has long-term vision how do you build shareholder value how do you create real uh, real tangible book value how do you get market mm -hmm. clearing transactions most of the companies that sit on that type of exchange where it's currently at they don't want to build businesses they want to put out bullshit press releases and steal from people and hurt people and sure. not really not really commit to building businesses they just want to pump and dump right it's been around mm -hmm. for a long time not how I'm wired. So when I got involved into this company, Michael and I, we, we aligned immediately, uh, honored to take over as CEO. And to answer your question, taking the company from its 
you know, in purgatory vision of what they were trying to do to moving it forward into a direction and strategy where I believe ultimately will bring tremendous shareholder value based on our performance and execution. Mm-hmm. We're seeing that in real time. And the stock was stuck at 35 cents for over five years. Today, we touched $4 a share within a few months of me taking over. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've added over $100 million in market cap. So the support and interest in the direction that we're taking the company seems to be pretty strong. Mm -hmm. Uh, And there will be, you know, going back to the company's original uh, business model with mining and precious earth or precious metals, I anticipate having a division still involved with that, but also divisions in real estate, hospitality, consumer products, media, TV, entertainment. So again, an old school GE conglomerate model where We'll have access and interest in multiple industries and each of mm-hmm. them working together, helping each other grow, sharing resources and supporting one another. Okay. How, uh, I mean, you have this, like this, like Rolodex of experience across various sectors. So I'm sure that's going to be a lot of it, but how do you kind of take, I guess, what maybe correct me if I'm wrong, was a historically singular focus on like mm-hmm. you know, mining. How do you kind of come in? you know, do you keep people? Do you fire people? Do you, how do you, how do you kind of transition over time to this, you know, multi-industry, multi-sector vision that you have? Yeah. Um, well, it could look like even the speed that we're operating, it could look like an overnight success, you know, with Michael and his 30, 40 decades of experience and access and knowledge, mm-hmm. my 20 uh, or two plus decades of my own holding. So these are, this is a lot of work that can easily carry over and vend mm-hmm. into what we're doing. So it's not like, Oh, let's try and do that and see what happens. It's already a lot of work has already been in, been done in that. And then it's properly bring it into this vehicle, giving that company that we either acquire, start or bring in the resources and tools it needs to actually generate earnings. Mm-hmm. I want I want to be able to execute that as quickly as possible because my goal is to show to the market we have a, a highly coveted security. There's really no float. One of the things I loved about it too, like my vision here is for sh- our shareholders that have been here for a long time and new ones that are joining is that we have a Berkshire Hathaway Class A type of yeah. security that I can create and build and and support. And by doing that, it's bringing in great companies, starting great companies, generating revenues, immediately sharing those earnings with our shareholders mm-hmm. to prove the model. And then I want something that people don't want to sell. I want something that people want to pass down from generation to generation and earn from yeah. it. Uh, so that's what we're doing. So getting these companies operational and into our ecosystem as quickly and correctly as possible is what we're doing. And then issuing security token offerings uh, through you know, partnerships like INX to support really fueling those companies even faster. Okay. So so people are going to have an option to either own just the individual ticker if they're more comfortable with that, or they can actually own pieces like actual uh, security tokens of the individual components if they would prefer that too. Correct. Yeah. Or, or hopefully both. I mean... Yeah, if I was um, someone that believed in what we were doing, you'd want to have as much access to the asset and revenue share of some of those business units through a security token offering. Okay, interesting. So, how um, maybe rewind a little bit? How does a security token differ from a just say getting common stock or preferred stock today? What are maybe the advantages and innovations that come with uh, using this structure? 
Yeah, well, multiple uh, a security token offering can be also considered equity, but it doesn't have to be. It could be a profit sharing or a revenue sharing of a some aspect of the business. So there's that differentiator, okay. which I think is great for startups. And I'm I'm such a startup founder and and supporter because that's what I've always done for my career. Yeah. If you can now go into the market as a as a startup founder and offer something like a security token offering. Mm-hmm. And fuel your business and not have to give up your equity, which is your brain. You're basically selling uh-huh. pieces of your brain and your heart. I think that changes the landscape for a lot of people, especially the mental health and wellness aspect of it. Because what happens is a lot of founders don't properly value their company. They go and raise mm-hmm. money. They give away too much equity. Yeah. And at some point they lose control of their company because they're out raising money, running out of raising money, running out of money. So this idea of a security token offering for that type of individual or, or new startup, I think is, I think is beautiful. Uh, security tokens through exchanges, again, like INX, you have the access to buy in their primary or trade in the secondary 24 mm-hmm. seven. So you're not, you're not confound to the traditional trading times of a New York mm-hmm. stock exchange or, or a public market. So you have that opportunity yeah. for liquidity and sure. participation. And then you also have really direct transparency into that business more than really anything in the world because you're fully fully involved into something where you have transparent blockchain with your ownership the transfer of ownership what that entails you to what do you actually own in that mm-hmm. um with a lot of uh let's just say a traditional security your stock could own a ton of debt your stock can own a ton of finance uh capital but if it's a security token offering that's just attached to a business unit that could be the most profitable business unit in a company, but as a stockholder, it could be watered down because it could be tied into a lot of losses. So it depends how you want to look at it. There's a ton of, uh, a ton of ways to, to, to throw out differentiators and it's case by case, depending upon the company, the ticker and you know, what they may or may not be offering as a security token offering in the market. Okay. Interesting. I do like the idea of being able to kind of, own the rights of what you specifically want to does that add like a layer of complexity as far as like actually going i guess from like a reporting standard internally for the business to i guess verify that people actually own you know revenue stream a which they mm-hmm. want not revenue stream b yeah no it's all, all completely reporting that that's uh that's why i love having great compliance and getting these types of securities issued and offered into the market. So the security token holder, they know exactly what they own down to the, in the offering. It's in the, it's in the Mm -hmm. offering memorandum that goes to the market. This is, this is what you're buying into. Now there could be um, amendments to that as the company grows, there could be special dividends, there could be new business units that's going into that. So there's a lot more that could come. But mm-hmm. the initial buy-in, uh, you know exactly what you're participating in. Okay. And are is there a requirement for revenue streams to be reported on a blockchain with these types of things? Or is that kind of like a nice to have? Or We intend problem? on doing that for sure. I, I want us to set the benchmark on transparency, on fully reporting everything you can to a, sure. to a shareholder or a security token holder. Yeah. Uh, I think in volatile markets even if it's not i think uh, you should know what you own and you should not be at risk uh, with your tax earnings um and if there's an opportunity to 
save your savings or your earnings because there may be a business could be in trouble. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I do think there's a fiduciary responsibility that shareholders need to know that. Um, now I know a lot of leaders maybe fully believe that it will turn around and we'll, we'll have different directions or we'll, we'll different focuses sure. and we'll turn it around. But is that fair for the stockholder to not know that I, I'm, I, I, and I'm speaking as someone that's been burned and abused and as a stock market. Sure. Yeah. So, so I'm trying to th- bring to market, uh, a way in which it's as de-risked as possible, a way in which mm-hmm. that people can trust the process and um, and not be caught off guard with a correction. And I, and I do believe security tokens will help offset giant corrections because you're allowing for additional capital to come in from sources that you didn't have access to before. For sure. Um, there's a lot to kind of think about here. I just had something and I totally forgot it. That's okay. Um, Oh, no, that was it. Um, as far as interest from the market goes, or where do you see it coming from? Do you see like institutional investors in, interested in this type of structure? Or is it more for sort of the online, you know, aware crypto investor? Where do you kind of anticipate things? Uh, I'm aiming for the sophisticated investor that understands wealth preservation, wealth enhancement. They understand things like yield and dividends. Sure. That's who I want to see what we're doing and believing us because I don't want a crypto, you know, not all, but a, a crypto trader, um, highly, yeah. highly emotional and irrational type of behaviors in that. Uh, when I hear, when I even when I hear things like crypto winter, I'm like, how does a crypto winter? Bitcoin is yeah. eighteen thousand, twenty thousand, Ethereum yeah. sixteen hundred, eighteen hundred. How is that? <laughs> How's that a winter? A winter is <laughs> yeah. zero. You know, like I don't, I don't. So when you hear that term being thrown around, yeah, it's it's it's. I'm gonna use the word juvenile. It's a juvenile word in a in a, what is a very va- valuable market. I mean, it's still a trillion dollar market. I don't think that constitutes the idea of a crypto winter. Yeah. Uh, um. So I don't want. I want that population to evolve and i want them to love digital assets and see that a security token world that's a hybrid with the stock you have a much more seasoned well thought out management team you actually have real businesses it's not backed by a meme point or it's not a community (laughs) or um yeah or Obviously, Bitcoin's amazing, and and Ethereum's amazing. We have certain holdings that sits on Polkadot's parachain. Like, there's some of these things that are phenomenal as far as community build, the technology, sure. transaction cost, speed, amazing. And all these things are great for how we're evolving and technology is evolving. But if you mm-hmm. want to put money into something, it should be put into something that actually isn't a compliant structure that has a team that's there to respect that capital and a team that's there that really knows how to turn it into something or at least give it everything they got to turn it into something of more value. Mm -hmm. What is your take on the regulatory space with the SEC? Um, Because I think the idea behind if you're going to like ICO something and go raise funds and you know, attract investors from a variety of places, there should probably be a certain amount of disclosure so people don't get rugged, right? Of course, yeah. Um, do you feel like how things are currently are set up correctly? Like, can you take the stock 
regulatory framework and put that into a security token? Is it basically the same thing? Same yeah, boxes checked? Or? Basically the same boxes are checked. That's why that INX way is a great read. Um, and as that evolves, I think there's going to be some additional language in you know the the law as far as how that progresses. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's why uh, you know, we've looked at past uh, situations from the SEC, which I want to work with, who I want to I want to evolve this industry with, and why we're excited about using security tokens because that's the approved methodology for this type of digital mm-hmm. asset class. Sure. Um, but, you know, uh, there's a lot, there's a lot in my work I have to protect. I, I love the idea of people saying they want to change banking. They want to change laws. They want to change government. I love that. You just can't go out there and do a 180 overnight. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. The um, internet you, seems to think that it can though. Like, I, I, yeah. Why can't it work like that? I, <laughs> I don't think it's a good thing that it should. I mean, there's those certain banking regulations and laws, SEC, those are there to protect people. And it may not be the perfect suite of tools to protect you, but when I reference the FTX collapse, who did everybody run to for help? They ran to the government for help and to get this guy in jail and get their money back. And then let's watch, let's watch the lawyers recoup 80% of the money and not give any of that to any of the people that lost their money like they did with Madoff. And let's, mm-hmm. that's okay, right? That's okay if that's the law. Um, but the criminal behavior and the description of criminal behavior is it's really case by case and who, uh, who the real criminals are. But you have to work with regulators. You have to work with governments. And at some point, there will be a president, a dictator or king look what's happening in argentina now oh yeah El salvador like there's going to be a moment where there is a push and supported from the top down as to the idea of the real value of these types of asset classes and pushing law and regulation to change Mm -hmm. Uh, everybody can pound their chest and want it to change immediately and you know you see xrp is the biggest pusher in that and they've done a great job defending themselves and presenting their case to the SEC and um and the courts but with just the the value of xrp didn't go to a hundred dollars after that it's still sitting where it's sitting so there's still a lot of work that needs to happen Mm -hmm. for the idea of crypto to be approved in certain regulatory environments I assumed security tokens were going to blow up in a good way after FTX collapsed because my assumption was that, okay, all of these people that want to be involved in digital assets, they don't want to get screwed or have all their capital locked up on an exchange that they can't access. Mm-hmm. They don't, maybe don't trust these exchanges. So they're going to have to trust an INX and the security token world because that just makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. However, the the demand hasn't hit that yet. So yeah. in, my, in my mind is... I don't know when that day is. So in the meantime, one of the biggest reasons why I got highly involved with DLMI was, okay, there's still a disconnect in the wealth of the world and digital assets. Mm-hmm. People know how to buy stock. Simple. They've done yeah. it for 100 years, mm-hmm. hundreds of years. So that's where we're going to be. We're going to be in the stock market, in the public markets. We're going to support these businesses, and we're going to have security token offerings. And then at one point, security token offerings are going to be a whirlwind flood to, to be involved with. Yeah. Anybody that's there with an offering, I think will benefit tremendously in the upside. But in the meantime, you got to be ready for it and act as business as usual with, with what you can do in regulatory environments. 
Mm-hmm. That all makes sense. Um, do you, I mean, do you run up against, uh, I guess, crypto OGs who take a different view than you? <laughs> when? Uh, yeah. I mean, they, they, everybody, they, they pound their chest. I want people to do well. I want people to make a lot of wealth. I get offended by the the mentality of that wealth because I've been through the dot-com era. Yeah. I saw tremendous wealth created and tremendous foolish waste of wealth evaporated. Yeah. And I see that again during this entire massive crypto movement where people are bragging about a half a million dollar uh, nightclub bill in Las Vegas oh, or sure, driving yeah. around Ferraris in Miami. Yeah, You've been given a gift of this wealth. You've been giving a great timing. You were smart enough to pull the trigger and buy these things. Yep. And if that's your idea of this gift and you know that, that Ferrari is worth half the value when you drive off the lot and that nightclub sure. is worthless. Um, a hangover maybe. <laughs> Uh, but I don't judge to each their own. For me, I work my ass off. I mm-hmm. surround myself with people that work their ass off. Making money is hard. Saving it is even harder. So yeah. when you're given that gift and you don't appreciate it, I, I get offended by that that type sure. of thing. Sure. How? Uh, so where where do you kind of apply your values like this in moving this company forward? Are there certain I guess maybe ways you conduct business or like certain investments you want to make that you think makes sense or how do you kind of, I guess, incorporate what you think about the world into what you do today? Yeah. Well, the most important thing is I have shareholders. I got to keep at the number one priority. So our decisions on where we want to be or acquire or start mm-hmm. businesses that have great profitability businesses that we can enhance that profitability. And if you look at some of the advisors we've announced, you'll see some of the industries that we're going to be heavily involved in mm-hmm. uh, because they're in those industries or icons in those yeah, industries. Yeah, so yeah. you can kind of be a detective and see what we're going to play in. And then you can look sure. at what I've done in my career and say, okay, well, what is in my private arsenal that could add a lot of value to this company and to the, or to our shareholders. Mm-hmm. And then it's perfecting those businesses. So, I mean, uh, Real estate's important for balance sheets. So I anticipate some, a great real estate division that'll be supported by our parent holding. Mm-hmm. Uh, media is extremely important. Again, look at GE, what they've done and, and what they structured during the, you know, during their growth. Getting our messaging out there and yep. promoting what we're talking about, supporting what we're talking about, educating people. So we've got in my private holdings, a lot of access to great media networks and partnerships mm-hmm. and reach. Uh, and you know, wireless tech is something I've been heavily involved in since the Twin Towers came down. I saw that push to talk Nextel radio phone out in the market. Yeah. And um, there's really important types of technology like that to always be able to connect and communicate that don't rely on cellular Wi-Fi. So sure, a, lot yeah. of my, a lot of my career has been developing those protocols. And, you know, we've got great technology in my private holdings for uh, connecting devices in a mesh peer-to-peer network. So now you look at the beauty of blockchain, digital assets, commerce, mm-hmm. and you think about the unconnected world. It's three, four billion people are walking around with an Android phone, but they don't have connectivity. It's odd, but it's true. Oh, yeah. And yeah, they're, they're unbanked. Yeah, yeah, they're unbanked and they're unconnected. Yeah. So now you look at what, you know, what I've been doing in my private world and going into the public markets. How do we connect the unconnected world? How do we bank the unbanked world? How do we provide content to the unconnected world through our protocols mm-hmm. and our content division? 
how do we help elevate people's wealth and enhance their wealth through the structures that we're building? So there's this giant master plan I've always been focused on and the ability to do it in a public market, I think is an important piece because we can show the effectiveness of the leadership here and how we're performing. Mm -hmm. And we can show that it actually, we're doing things that no other company has been able to do because we're strong from the beginning. The company's so clean and going forward, making the right steps on providing value because I made every mistake you could think of in my career. Sure. So now, <laughs> now we can don't have to repeat those mistakes and we just yeah. build. Yeah. Um, do you, I mean, would you consider yourself an operator or more of an investor? Like where do you differentiate between like boots on the ground expertise and uh, I guess maybe just an investment sort of value? Yeah, I've stopped being passive in my career in 2012, I think, because every time I was passive, it just burned me. Okay. So I, within reason, there's a lot going on. So I, I can't, I can't be at the level that I want with everything, but I'm always involved as much as possible. There's WhatsApp, Slack groups for everything. Yeah. I need to know what's going on in these companies. Uh, We'll just focus on the public company. There is going to be boots on the ground all the time mm-hmm. or rolling out products or tech or solutions to the market you got to have an understanding of empathy and reality of what's going on in the market mm-hmm. you can't be in a 70th story floor building in new york city dictating down uh what you're going to bring to the market if people don't have money to buy eggs or they don't have money to go sure. buy an extra sweater they're not going to buy your stupid piece of ip or they're not just, there's no money there's no money yeah, so yeah. you need to know what's going on in the world so you properly develop products that are needed for the world, and then you make sure you properly price them for the world. So for mm-hmm. me, I'm, uh, I'm an operator to an extent, but it's more about smart use of capital, smart use of time. That's the biggest value prop you can offer the world is where are you spending your time mm-hmm. and are you, are you recouping the value, the most maximum value you can get for the time that you spent? Mm-hmm. And then understanding what these companies need and giving them the right resources they need to succeed, that's where the capital comes in. But I really want us to be always growing from cash flows. If we bring in any outside additional capital, it's to support a pipeline of revenues that we can turn on. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you know, our, our main goal is shareholder value and have a high price coveted stock that people want to own and that they're proud to own. Yeah. Do how do you even practically go about identifying these opportunities? Like, um, are you always looking for something that's already cash flowing? Are you willing to take a growth investment? Like, how is it kind of ad hoc? Like, do you identify themes from here or there and kind of dig into them? Like, how do you kind of? Yeah, I mean, a lot of standardize it, it. A lot of it could be, at least in my what I built in my career, is distressed assets. You know, there's okay. a lot of times there is great value there except leadership doesn't know what to do with it they don't have the right access they don't have the right opportunity so when you drop something like that into the ecosystem we're building you can really unlock a lot of value if you have the right strategy and there's a lot of companies i've been involved with that just didn't think of an ulterior use for their product or tech or services there's a, a market that i knew there was a need for back to your previous question on boots on the ground when you're involved in so much and you're talking to so many different people you know certain needs so yeah i find a company it's failing it's it's not doing so great but i see great value there that's a that's a 
beautiful moment where we can unlock value for their current investors, for their management, bring it into our holdings and, you know, do a 180 mm-hmm. for that company. Those are the best ones. Yeah. Um, but other than that, taking opportunities and bringing in guaranteed historical uh, generating revenue companies that at least have a baseline of what we know that's coming in. Mm-hmm. We have a strong idea, but we know we can increase that too. Yeah. And, and that's, that's what we want to do. a hybrid of both because having the cash flow and strong historic revenues and sustainable growth, that's great for our company and that's great for our shareholders. And then with a revenue generating company that we bring in or that we start, and then attaching a security token offering to it, you really create this, I think, pretty utopian model. Yeah. So there's no there's no growth in there. There's no Silicon Valley. Uh, no, because this that, that does this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this does this every time. Okay. I, I, talk about, I, I was involved in the Facebook IPO. I referenced it a lot. $30, $32, $32 a share. It went down to 16 yeah. Everybody yeah, should have yeah. called. Everybody should have called him, or that should have been. Everybody got rugged, right? That would be the yeah. term that yeah, we yeah, would use. Yeah, yeah. Um, but now that stock is, you know, where it's very strong. But if you got in on the IPO, you lost. You got screwed. Uber. I mean, so many of these, yeah, uh, unicorns when they go public, the public. That's why I love the market. The market knows what something should be valued at. Sometimes the market misses it, and you get an opportunity to buy in yeah. before the market sure. understands. Um, but. Uh, it's a great thing about the public markets. They never failed. There's liquidity created and there's value created and true, true market cap is usually given to what a company's actually worth. Now the problem with um, corrections or bubbles is because there's a lot of inflated value that I think is pushed into the markets through institutions, uh, through a lot of large capital holders that, Keep need to keep thinking. Keep need to keep thinking. Keep things high because they're already they're too far in, right? It's too mm-hmm. big to fail, and then at some point it fails because the business isn't there to sustain that. The revenues aren't there to sustain it. And mm-hmm. what do companies usually do? Rather than going and trying new, to find new business, the first thing they do is fire people. So then you start to see the giant collapse happen. People are getting fired across multiple different industries. Revenues are down. Um, mm-hmm. So capital support's gone, and all of a sudden, the capital markets have no liquidity to help fund good good companies anymore. Mm-hmm. Do uh, man, as you as you like talk, I keep having question. Then next question, next question. <laughs> I love it. Uh, good. No, no, no. Um, it's fascinating. Like, because what I was kind of thinking about at the end there was, do you like you said you like markets being efficient for the obvious reason that they you know, know where the truth is, I suppose. Um, I personally kind of feel that in a lot of ways, we've gotten away from what is, you know, a true sort of market economy. I'm wondering if you have any thoughts on, uh, you know, effects of policy, regulatory capture, the Fed, uh, you know, what you could probably argue are cartels. Right in the U.S. of like certain businesses, say sugar. I don't get I don't get involved in the sugar yeah. cartel. That's for sure. Um, yeah, I. You know, a lot of ways to answer that. If I think I know where you're going, humanity, at least in first world countries, humanity's been so desensitized. I feel like everybody thinks everything's a game. 
Mm-hmm. And I feel like money is treated like it's monopoly money and credit card money. And there's, 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 just, there's just been this desensitized mentality towards money because mm-hmm. uh, it's digital. You know, when you have it and you used to have it in your pocket, you used to know exactly what you had. It was coins in there. There was, there was actual, yeah. you could say, oh shit, I got $30. I can only spend $30 yeah. today. There was no other way to spend more than that unless you bartered or, or worked, worked harder and made more money. And then because of that, then you have the idea of the Fed just continuously pumping and making money. Mm-hmm. Uh, somebody made a good point to me, at least a point that made me think about uh, last week. They said it's not about the amount of money that's being printed, it's about how it's being spent. Mm-hmm. And I, I appreciated the thought there. Um, but when there's corrections, and some of your listeners can remember after 08, they came up with TARP and it completely yep. you know, just flooded the market with capital to help offset some of the banks collapsing AIG and some of you know, they had to stop things. Too big to fail, that was their sure. term. Some people had to fail, like Bear Stearns and Lehman Brothers. They weren't. They weren't too big to fail. They weren't connected. Well, yeah. <laughs> um, so I don't know how you can continuously do something like that in a, in another major collapse that I think is eminent. It's only eminent because it's happened since every x amount of it's happened part of human history yeah yeah it's not like i'm a crystal ball here but there's going to be a collapse it happens Mm -hmm. how do you just go and create more debt um how do you create more debt in the u.s model where you know there's discussions around the world where maybe oil is no longer pegged to the u.s dollar if that happens and it goes towards a russia or china uh currency we become we become a third world country Cost of capital gets a lot more expensive. Our dollar has zero value. Um, And people, all that can't happen. Well, where the hell is the Roman Empire? Like, don't tell me it can't happen. Look at Argentina. Look at El Salvador. Look at... Um, well, look at the currency structure of New Zealand. Isn't I don't know. There's so many countries that have no value to their... their their currency. So it can happen. And I... I think that's the biggest issue where people think that things can happen. And when mm-hmm. they think things can happen, you get this false sense of pride and safety. And then when that, when things start to happen, then, then that's, and then there's panic because nobody properly prepared themselves. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and preparing yourself in today's world is, is actually kind of a beautiful thing. When you look at things like you talk about with crypto, when you talk about what we're doing with security tokens, there's ways to, um, protect your wealth or to transfer wealth into other types of asset classes. Um, mm-hmm. One company I'm honored to be part of is Lode, L-O-D-E. L-O-D-E dot one is fractionalized digital ownership in gold and silver, physical gold and silver. And yeah. to me, that, that's a no-brainer when it comes to uh, real tokenizing a real-world asset. Going back in time mm-hmm. where gold and silver, well, majority gold back in history, yeah. where people understood that that was the only value of that is is the gold. Gold's mm-hmm. not used for anything else besides people want it in jewelry. Silver's got other component u- uses, um, things like technology sure. and medicines. But when you start to go to the, a global population and you utilize some of the technologies that we have access to to connect a global economy mm-hmm. and give them the opportunity to buy something on a fractionalized ownership of piece of, of a precious metal, then you can, you can change, you can actually change the world. You can actually uh, empower people to have some wealth that they never had access to before. Yeah. So you have that you have that model on a fractionalized ownership, and then you have that same model for people that 
maybe sitting on a large amount of fiat currency, maybe sitting on different types of assets or securities where they can start to have real ownership in these physical goods or these real world assets, thanks to blockchain and tokenization of them. I think that's how you smartly protect yourself in today's economy. Mm-hmm. Where, where does like education fit in for you? Cause I'm a former financial advisor. That's where I started my career. And my general take is that financial services education is just more or less non-existent. Mm-hmm. Uh, just because you might take a class here or there on personal mm-hmm. finance, it it rarely makes its way into, you know, day-to-day sort of behavior, right? Yeah. Um, and I kind of view, I don't want to say like a trope, but like the do your research crowd, I find so annoying just because like who <laughs> has time to do that when, you know, you're married, you have kids, you got a job, yeah. you're just trying to not get rugged or blown up like i i don't i mean the education is there for people who are looking for it but i think the vast majority of people are not looking or not inclined is my personal take so you've got call 10 percent of people who care about this topic the other 90 are going to concerts or skiing <laughs> or yeah. getting, you know getting beers with friends or whatever so I guess where does education fit in, particularly with something as uh, you know important as your financial stability? <laughs> uh, it's re- it's really important if you're going to want to understand where the world's going. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I guess it's important for the first movers in this space because what's going to happen? You talk about the people that are going to concerts. Mm-hmm. They're going to have a digital wallet that's built into their checkout process that they don't even know that's happening. And they're going oh, to have a, an NFT or some sort of digital asset that sits in that wallet that gives them access to that concert or their ski lift ticket is now in a digital yeah. wallet that's somewhere on their phone. Yeah. You don't really, you, you can't have education in that because it just has to be there and it just has to work. Yeah. If yeah. you have to educate the entire population on that process, i.e., where we are today with how many wallet holders there are, how many security token holders there are, that requires a little bit of education because you want to know about how do you get involved? What exchange do you put your KYC information on? What exchange do you fund? And what exchange do you you conduct these transactions with? I reference frequently when stocks were available to be purchased online, nobody was doing that. Maybe some younger kids were doing, I mean, I was doing it at 16, um, but nobody was doing it. Uh, they want to call their broker. That's what they were used to. I'm going to call Charlie over there, Charlie Schwab, and be like, "What do you think yeah. about? What do you think about this?" Sure. Um, then it became more mainstream. I think thanks to E Trade and Scott Trade and Super Bowl commercials, it became yeah. cool to yeah. trade online. And that, yeah. then you had a then you had a movement. <clears throat> so we're going to see the same thing happen now. Security tokens are going to be mainstream when you can call your broker or go on Charles Schwab and just buy them. Yeah. Um, But in the meantime, much like people that bought Bitcoin early on, or they bought anything early on because they were either visionaries, they just took a bet, they got lucky, whatever the case may be. I think they truly believe that there is going to be a future, very high demand participation in that. So I want to be there first and being there first means who do you, let's just say we're talking about security tokens, which one of those primary offerings do you get behind or do you get behind them all? 
Um, do you want to be the first to have ownership in Microsoft when it came out? Well, the same thing can happen now. You can have the first to have ownership in a certain security token that's out in the world. And there's only a handful of them that actually have gotten approved and in the market. So I think the people that are doing their research and educating, I think they're going to be very, you know, they're going to be ahead of the curve like anything else. You know, same thing with medicine or as treatments or what's the best foods to eat. Like the people that do their work and research tend to have a better idea of the best possible mm-hmm. outcome. And then there's the people that just get lucky and get involved yeah. because they just got, they just got lucky and, and yeah. did it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess there's no shortcut for taking responsibility for yourself because no one else is going to do it. So, um, hmm. and um, no disrespect to your career as a financial advisor, but outside of now DLMI, I stopped buying stock in 2009 because my financial advisors and our family, what was suing them in Finra, uh, sold us a bag of crap. And yeah. preferred Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac securities <laughs> that that well, after TARP they were considered quasi government backed securities. They were yeah, sold yeah. to us as government securities. Now we don't. It's a shame that the, the broker relationship got tarnished because they were family friends and they were just pushed. They were just told what you know. You know you've been in the business. Oh, go yeah. and sell. Go sell this. The squawk goes through the squawk box in your desk, and that's your yeah. that's your package to sell that day. Um, so after that, I. Uh, you know, a lot of wealth evaporated and um, it wasn't about the money that uh, money comes and goes. I've never been money oriented. So go out, you go out and make more money. As long as you have your health, you can go out and do anything. But what was disheartening was feeling um, like that, that, that was our fault. We were sold something that wasn't true. Why yeah. is that our fault? Sure. Um, and why is there no accountability with that? And why is there no help to go and, Mm-hmm. You know, even the PPM said nothing. There's the word quasi was never anywhere. Yeah. So after that, you start to get a little concerned about, well, I got to protect my own ass. Like, you know, I got to just mm-hmm. have my own little world and control my own little world. And with that, how can I, how can I survive and make sure that you can put food on the table and pay your bills? You know, that's why some of these products are really important. Um, and that's where it goes to, you know, anybody listening, do your research back companies or projects that you feel have good potential and can help increase your wealth. What, uh, what do you like right now in terms of, I mean, maybe themes for the future, uh, whether it's crypto or TradFi or whatever, um, what, what's interesting to you, particularly uh, your breath? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I've been heavily focused on freshwater technology and products. Okay. I think water, it's not a sexy space, but water is key to life. And I do believe in our lifetime, it'll trade like oil. Um, and, you know, we want to be well positioned to, uh, at least for me, have access to technology and supply of water. Again, sure. people listening are like, oh, who cares? You don't care until you don't have oh, it. Yeah. Uh, or it's contaminated and you can't drink it. Or if you can't get water for your kid, you're going to care. Yeah. Um, so to me, that's interesting to me as uh, li- all life needs it. Forget just humans. It's sure, yeah. everything. Uh, so that's heavily of interest to me. Um, real world assets, like I mentioned, uh, having fractionalized ownership in silver, physical silver and gold. That's extremely mm-hmm. interesting to me. And wireless 
uh, you know, wireless technologies where we can connect, communicate, and locate one another in the event that there's a blackout terrorist event or, you know, mm-hmm. take your cell phone if there's no Wi-Fi in your house or there's the cell tower is down. you got a really expensive MP3 player in your pocket. Yeah, it's a black have, Yeah, but if you have parallel networks like what I've been building where you can still utilize that device and it can help you if you need it or you can get access to information if you need it or communicate with somebody if you need it. Mm. These are all things that are really important to the ethos of what I've been building. It's constant connectivity, connecting and unconnecting world, banking and an unbanked world, access to resources that we need to survive like fresh water. But all these things can be financed on a global scale, again, promoting the security tokens. But that's the the great thing about it. You put this out into the world and out of 7 billion people out there that can participate in it, it doesn't take much money from a majority of them to actually make something happen. But if you're doing an offering in a regulated environment that's maybe just the USA, there's a lot of... Uh, there's a lot of competition in that space. You got to spend yeah. a lot of money to get people to see or hear about your your offering. You got to promote it through yeah. legal, legal ways. Yeah, uh, and you know who knows if you get the money you need or not to get your project where it needs to be or your company needs to be where it needs sure. to be. But if you look at a global scale and have these types of exchanges like INX that connect the a majority of the countries, few hundred bucks here, a few hundred bucks there, out of 10,000 people out of 7 billion, that's, that's, that's doable. Yeah. Um, quick, it just occurred to me, quick question. Uh, if can security tokens be purchased globally by anyone? Yeah. Well, in the, in the countries that, well, again, we work with INX. So in the countries that they have the license and regulatory to do so. So they, they did their first one, they raised 75 million, uh, and it was, um, it's all public, but I know that a lot of it was Southeast Asia, South Korea, Japan, I want to say Germany, um, U.S., Canada. I don't know if Canada was on the list, but now it's grown into, I think, over 60 countries. So it just keeps evolving to how many countries that can be um, can utilize yeah. an exchange like that. You still got to go through your KYC. Yeah. Um, you have to get on board and enter the system and get approved, and you got to fund it, but... You don't have to, you know, there's no, you don't have to do a minimum 10,000, 100,000. You don't have to price people out. I mean, you can do minimum 100 bucks if you want and get yeah. get a million people to buy 100 bucks. That's that's really interesting to me because yeah, that's doable on a global scale. Yeah. Um, it's really interesting. I was thinking it as we were talking, like it's kind of a way to export a best-in-class regulatory framework that's market-tested too, because people will gravitate towards the projects that are the most serious with the best Mm -hmm. teams. And if you, as maybe either maybe a sovereign or regulatory agency or whatever, can show over time the best regulatory framework for stuff, that I don't know if you've thought about that, but that thought just like occurred. Yeah, no, you're you're going on the right track. And then it's replicatable, right? Yeah. And then you have you have this new program that can properly fund companies or projects that can, uh, well, I should say properly, it's a new new modernization of that. Yeah. And, and have more support globally. And you also, you know, a lot of these great NFT projects too, they, they were great, me- are great mechanisms to build an audience or a community. 
So now you have all of these potential investors or security token holders throughout the world. You have little, you have little advocates out there that are talking about yeah. you. Twitter, telling their and, friends, yeah. yeah, yeah, telling their friends. So now you're you have a global impact. Um, so it's you know I look at a lot of things like a marketing campaign. That's that's a great way to get your brand and your messaging and your and your company out there just by promoting it to a global potential investor pool. Yeah, interesting. That's really interesting. Um, that might be a whole other podcast topic at some <laughs> point for sure. Um, well, let's see. We're bumping up against our hour here. Anything you want to finish with, Brian? Or no, great conversation. Thank, thank you for having me. I love the work that you're doing. You're, you're doing a great job promoting and talking about great projects and companies in this space. So, thank you for taking the time to do that. Yeah, yeah, I appreciate it. Where can uh, people are curious to check you out? Where can people go find you and see what you're up to? Yeah, appreciate anybody that wants to reach out to me or see we're up to Brian J. Esposito is my personal name and handle. I typically just use LinkedIn and Twitter if you want to connect with me directly. Private companies, Esposito Intellectual Enterprises, that's EIE.rocks, so EIE.rocks. And the great work that we're doing and efforts behind Diamond Lake Minerals, that's the public company, ticker symbol DLMI. Uh, you can visit that at diamondlakeminerals.com. And um, we also have our presence on our company pages on all major socials. Okay, cool. Well, let's leave it there. Thanks, Brian. I I really appreciate you coming on, man. Thanks, Ben. I appreciate it as well. Have a good day. Yeah, you too.